The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I'm Matt. This is your first time. Um, like Steve said, if you wouldn't mind filling out one of those Connect cards, we'd love to get some information to you about who we are, why we do what we do, and uh, we'll answer some more questions for you. Uh, and um, I uh, uh, want to uh, say thank you, everyone, who, was, who had such a great part this week in uh, helping us with... Uh, Mark Hathaway's service, Liz, I see you over there. I, I, I'm not going to start crying. Um, what an outpouring of support. And uh, just thank you for being a blessing uh, to Liz and the kids and, and for Mark. Thank you for praying for him and with them. And, and uh, Liz, we're, we're with you, okay? We're with you. And uh, we love you. We got you. Um, and uh, as, as we've been praying, we're praying for our teams. Canadian team got back last night, eh? Um, <laughs> They're probably all going to do that next week. I'm not going to steal any of the thunder of the mission teams. If you've been watching Facebook, you've, you, you see there's some incredible things, but our team's in Nicaragua right now, so they went this way last week, and so it's exciting to have that going on, and uh, there's just a lot of stuff. Thank you, everybody, for helping in a local missions outreach and support yesterday with the back-to-school bash. That was incredible. I mean, there was thousands of kids that came through, and uh, what I loved about it, they got, they got food, they got school supplies, but most of all, they got hope. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all all of you who donated backpacks and, and goodies and money and all that, that fun stuff um, to make sure that we got kids that are ready to start school um, prepared. Next week, we're going to do, uh, we're going to be praying over all the kids that are getting ready to go back to school. I am so glad for that. Man, I can't, well, I'm just staying, man. I, I, it's not that I like you going to school and it's torture and everything. I just like the regular routine. You know what I mean? I'm ready. Summer to me feels like my mind and schedule just goes, and I, I'm just ready for some routine um, back, in, back up in here. That's what I need. Um, so we started a series this week um, called You Asked For It. And uh, man, with the questions you've been sending in, boy, did I ask for it. I'm just telling you. Some of y'all, I don't know that we're going to be able to answer from this platform. We probably need to set up a meeting with a counselor, and uh, I'll just, I'll kind of mediate. I don't know if we need an intervention or something, but, but you've, got some, you've got some great questions, and the, the, the feeling and the, the, the mentality behind this series over the next four weeks is to deal with some things uh, that, that you're wrestling with, that we're wrestling with, because if you ask the question, someone else is probably asking it as well. And, and so we've got to understand what Scripture tells us about these things that we have questions about. And I've told you over and over that the Word of God's not the instruction book for life, but it reveals God's character, and as God's character shapes us, we begin to make decisions based off of God's character as opposed to our own. And, and I think the, the best question that I received and all of them that I received is this one. It says, why should I study the Bible on my own in addition to hearing you preach it? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm, I'm messed up. So um, I may not always get it right, okay? And so you need to study. You need to, the Word of God tells us to study and show ourselves approved. But here's, here's what it really boils down to. This is the goal of the series is to get you into the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, write your name in it. It's our gift to you. We ordered extra Bibles just for this, this series. We want you to have access and a copy of the Word of God so you can get into it. Um, I, I hear people refer to church, like going to church on Sunday is like going to the restaurant. I'm going to get fed. You know, come feed me, pastor. 
if you, this, here's the thing, if you, if you only get the Bible that I teach you, first of all, um, you're reducing yourself to, to my ability of study, okay? And I'm, I'm not a smart man, so, uh, so you're getting the Holy Spirit working through me, but many of you are smarter than I am, so you're hindering your ability to study the Word of God. The other thing is, this idea of a restaurant, if, if you only ate on Sunday, I mean, it, let's say we go to a buffet, and you eat till you cannot eat anything else, and that's all you ate until next Sunday, you're going to be in bad shape. It's the same thing with the Word of God. I don't like to think of church as a, as a restaurant. I like to think of it as a grocery store. You come in, and you get the stuff you need to cook your meals the rest of the week, right? So you come in here, and you get, you get the Word of God. You get encouragement. You get excited, and, and you spend time in the presence of God. Then you go, and you cook it. And here's what I've learned. Studying the Word of God is hard. Not, not from an intellectual standpoint, but because the enemy is against you and doesn't want you to open this book. He'd rather you open any book in the universe than this book. And, and, and for some, I was talking to one, one guy this, this past week, and he said the way he ensures he reads the Bible every day is he does this on his nightstand. He just sets the Bible open on his nightstand. He said, because if I get in bed and he says, I don't get up the first thing in the morning and read, I'll read before I go to sleep. He said, but if it's not right there, then I will lay myself in bed and I will justify not walking across the room or doing anything because, oh, it's over there. I'll just do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's the enemy's favorite day. So I want you in the word of God. You need to be in the word of God. It's, uh, it's vital. And so you've got to begin to start to discern that truth for yourself. And, and I would say this, um, you know, I, I, I joke about how, you know, I'm not perfect and I, I, I'm only as good as, as a man. But when you have other people teaching to you, you need to be very careful about who they are. You need to know, if I'm going to have somebody cook for me, I want to know that they're coming from a clean kitchen, right? If I walk into to a grocery store and it's just nasty, when you look at the produce and everything, it's like, no, don't even eat that, Okay. So be careful. I'm going to talk you through how I kind of built this today. And uh, uh, a couple of things that, that, to set this up. There, one of my favorite pages in the Bible is this one right here. It's called the contents. <laughs> it's a holy page right there. This tells me where every book is and what page it's on. Now, if you've got a smartphone, we use a free app around here called Uversion. You don't even need this because you can just tap the thing at the top and scroll to the book you want to go to. But this, this helps me in my study. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take you through some of my study this week. I use this. And then my Bible, I don't know if yours has this, but mine has a concordance in the back. A concordance means I can look up words and see what verses those words have. Like, for example, um, peace. Um, because one of the things that, that when I pray, I'm like, God, we need your peace. And, and I know somewhere in the Bible, there's something about that peace that passes understanding. And this says right here, and the peace of God, which surpasses all, and I'm filling blank, understanding, is Philippians 4, 7. See, I have a hard time remembering kind of the address, like the chapter and verse of where things are. Uh, and, and that's okay. But you've got a way to get to it. Now, 
with Google, don't use Google, with some of the study things, and I'm going to explain why I say don't use Google. There's some websites, write these down, like biblestudy.org, studylight.org, Bible Gateway. Those are great resource sites where people, and, and they put the time and the money and the effort into making sure that it's solid. Don't use Wikipedia to study the Bible. And when I say, when I, when I give a caution about Google, if you Google something, you don't know what all is going to come up. I mean, there's, I'm just going to lay it out there. There's going to be different organizations. There's going to be different things. And you may not be getting the truth of this word. So go to, an org, go to a website, go to a site that has backing and has some, some resources to it. So let, let's get into this. The first question, when I, when I looked at these questions... I sat in my office this week, and here's how it started. God, help me. I mean, there's, there's, I got a lot of questions. But our study time should start like this. God, open the eyes of my heart. Let me, let me see your revelation. Don't let me seek someone with a question and get an answer. God, I want your revelation. So as I open your word, God... Give me revelation. Let me see your character. Let me see your heart. And God, plant this word in my heart. There's many days that I'll read, and I'm just like, okay, all right, I got nothing. And then there's some days that I'll read, and the words just jump off. I'm just like, oh my gosh, why have I not seen this all my life? I've read through this book many times. Why have I not seen this? And that's, that's God opening our heart and the eyes of our heart to the revelation. So when I looked at the questions, I just said, God, help me. Give me revelation on what you want shared and how you want me to kind of work through some of these questions. And, and I, they, they just, there was a couple that jumped off that page. I printed the pages and, and laid them out on my desk. And there was a couple that jumped out. And, and these are vital. These are going to be foundational for us to get so we can go into answering the other questions that we wrestle with. And, and the first question that jumped up was, what is the gospel and how does it save me? And so I started praying, okay, God, what is the gospel and how does it save me? How do I articulate this? Because I just don't want to to get it, I want to be able to live it, and I want to be able to model it. So when we study the Word of God, we pray, God, open the eyes of my heart. Let me see you more. Give me revelation. I want to live this, God, and then, God, I want to model this in front of other people because in modeling, we teach other people. And so I just started praying and thinking about, okay, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And I've heard that word all my life. And, and you know, what, is it, what does it really get to? And one of my favorite verses is in Romans 1, 16 and 7, uh, 17, when Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So I started thinking about this. Okay, that verse came to mind. See, what happens is when we start asking God questions, the more time we spend in his word, the more he's going to bring this word back to us. And so we begin to, to start to have the revelation of scripture start working through our life and what's going on in our life. And so I'm thinking, okay, God, the gospel is the power. It's your power and the salvation. That it's from faith for faith. So, so God gives us the faith 
for the faith. But God, I know the gospel is your power. So I've got, it's your power for salvation. But God, what else is it? And, and one of the things that came to mind was, you know, Paul always got arrested or rioting or something. When Paul preached the gospel, there was trouble. And so I started thinking about all the times that Paul would get in trouble and he would say, look, this gospel, for this reason I'm in chains, for this reason that I've, I'm giving myself to this, for this reason I'm pouring, being poured out like an offering, and, and it was the gospel. And so where did Paul really give us a good explanation of the gospel? And one of my favorite sections is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, and the first part of 15, because Paul's dealing with spiritual gifts. And he's talking about this in the context of the church. And he's going through this and he says, you've got to have love. So God gifts us and you've got to use these gifts in love. And that's where the love chapter, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, does not brag, does not boast, does not envy, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And when I do a wedding, I look at him and go, love never fails. But later... In chapter 15, Paul says, says this. He says, I want to bring you back. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. So I preached the gospel to you. He's talking to the church in Corinth. I preached the gospel and you received it. And, and you make your stand on that. You're standing firm on the gospel. And that's what is saving you. And he says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on to say, he appeared to Cephas and the 12 and then he appeared to more than 500 men. Some are, some are still alive. So when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, he says, look, this gospel that I preach to you, it's the power of God unto salvation and is the priority that we wrap our lives around. When I preach this to you, at, at this time, some of the people, almost 500 people, are still there that saw the proof, the physical evidence of Jesus walking from the tomb. You can go ask them. Now, we don't have that ability, but we, we see that in faith, through faith, by faith, for faith. And so I, I started track. Okay, so this gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then God said, get the context. See, some of your questions, I, I, how do I say this delicately? Some of the questions that you sent have you wrapped around the axle because they're stemming from a verse that, or, or some part of a verse or a verse that's been taken out of context? And that causes incredible damage in how you grow. We, here's what we have to understand. I will preach this till the day I die, that context is king. We have to understand scripture in its context. We can't just pull a verse and say, I'm going to build an entire theology and philosophy around this verse and skip everything else that's going on around it. So for me to say that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we've got to put context to that. 
we've got to find our lives in the context of this event because death, burial, and resurrection is an event that happened. So what the, what the gospel is, it's, it's a declaration of what Jesus accomplished through the cross and the resurrection. So we've got the gospel, which means good news. So we've got this good news. It's a de- declaration of the good news, but we've got to find our lives in it. Let me, let me give you an example. I, some of y'all are going to hate me when I say this, but, but there's grace in this place. Um, I couldn't make it through the, that TV show 24. I made it through the first season, and I thought it was awesome. I got in the second season, but here's where I need the grace. I got on the train too late, okay, because I just couldn't watch it with all the technology, and Jack Bauer's got a flip phone. I'm that, Sorry, that's just me. I mean, I'm watching it on my iPad, Jack. And some of y'all going to email me, I love Jack Bauer, I love 24... Thank you, man. I, I, I love you, man. Love you. I got nothing against it. But let's say you are into the show, and you come up and say, and I don't even know if this is a real character, but hey, Jack saved Shirley. He saved her life. Cool. Who's Jack? Who's Shirley? And I didn't know her life was in danger. And you look at me like, Jack saved Shirley's life. And I'm like, Okay. Good for Shirley. Let's get Jack a medal. I don't have any context. What are you talking about? I'm talking about 24. Oh, I don't watch that. See, when we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we go around going, hey, Jesus died for you. Who's Jesus? I didn't ask him to die for me. Is he crazy? We've got to get context in it. See, the, the death, burial, and resurrection is an event, and then the context is our life. For us to understand how good the good news is, we've got to understand how bad the bad news is. So, so we, we look through Scripture, and what we, what we see through the vein of Scripture is the context of our lives in this greater story that God is writing. So we have this creation that in the beginning, God created it, and it was good. He created this perfection, this harmony in the garden where the relationship was together. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. There was nothing that hindered them. And then Adam and Eve sinned, and so you have the fall. You have the fall of man. You have that point in history when sin entered the world. And what happens is that harmony is broken, That relationship, the perfection in that relationship is broken, and you and I are born into that broken system. You and I are born into a disconnected relationship with God, with our creator. And what happens is that that time in history, Jesus stepped in. He, He left the glory of heaven. He left the power of heaven. He left the perfection of heaven, and he wrapped himself in flesh. He humbly was born of a virgin. He was laid in a manger. He lived a perfect life. He walked a hill called Calvary and laid his life down to be crucified on a cross, was laid in a tomb, and three days later walked out of that tomb victorious. See, that's the reconciliation of God. And the desire for that is our restoration. See, what Jesus accomplished on the cross 
was satisfying the wrath of God against our sin and taking the punishment for sin. But we've got to put our lives in the context of that story. That Jesus just didn't die. Jesus did that to save my life. See, when I understand that I'm broken and I have no connection with God and I have no way of connection with God and I realize that Jesus died for me, the death, the burial, the resurrection was so that I could have life. You see, the core of the gospel is that Jesus is the son of God and that he lived and died and rose again to save sinners, and the good news is he will save me. That my life finds hope and restoration in the story of the cross, and that I can have a life. And and, and then, so that's the gospel, the power of God and the salvation. It's of first importance. It's putting our lives in the context and letting the event of the death, burial, and resurrection transform our lives. But, so that's the gospel, but how does it save me? And so I started to think, okay, God, so how, how are we saved? And, and I started thinking about this. Some of y'all, John 3 is where I went. Some of y'all watched enough football to know John 3.16. But this was, okay, let's get context. Right? Some of you are like, it's football season. Yeah, preseason started last night, baby. It's on. I'll see Heather in January. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not healthy for your marriage. She's not in here. Good. Okay. Y'all going to tell her anyway. John chapter 3, verse 1. I started thinking about this. This man named Nicodemus. Now, a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him. See, Jesus can see right to our heart. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus and I will probably get along because Nicodemus says this, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, see, sometimes I just, I pray, God, I'm I'm that dumb, okay? Help me understand this. Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, say what? Now, some of you might have grown up in church and heard this term born again. What's, What's he talking about? Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what he's saying is, we're all born of flesh, okay? We're here because we're born of flesh. But when, when the gospel, when we realize the gospel saves me, and I can be born again, so that spirit gives birth to spirit. How does that happen? It happens, Paul explained in, in Romans chapter 10, that when we confess that Jesus is Lord, we believe that in our heart, that he died and he rose again, there's something that happens. We become born again. It's by faith. It's God's grace that gives birth to the spirit of God in us. See, when we were little, and when I was little, I'd hear people in children's church go, do you want Jesus in your heart? And they're like, I don't know if that'll fit. 
it's not Jesus taking up residence in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit taking up residence. See, what happens is when we're born again, Jesus says, look, you're, you're already born, but when you are reborn, when you put your faith and your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died for you and you ask him for salvation, he gives that. That's his gift. What happens in that moment is the Holy Spirit is born inside of you. And we are now in a relationship and we are, we are called to, at that point, grow in that relationship. See, when we have babies, we feed them so they physically grow. We want to give them healthy, good food physically. We support them emotionally. We want to see them emotionally nurtured. We do the same thing spiritually. We're called to grow up. We're called to get into good food and good word and start that maturity process. And so we've got this spirit. We're, you're the temple of God. And so we begin to live that out. That changes our relationship. It's, it's this spirit of adoption, how we're saved. It's by faith. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again and that he did that to save me and my faith in that, my confession in that brings new life to me. I'm a transformed person. And that sets the foundation for these next questions. If Jesus has covered all my sin, why should I confess my sin to God? Let's understand this. I started thinking, okay, confession, like one of my favorite verses is 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so there's something important about this confession that we do. And confession means this. Um, the word in that 1 John 1, 9 means to admit, acknowledge, or declare. So what happens is when I confess that Jesus is Lord, I'm declaring that Jesus is Lord. When I say with my mouth, when I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart, I'm confessing and professing through faith and declaring that Jesus is Lord. I'm agreeing that Jesus is Lord I'm admitting that Jesus is Lord, and, and that's how I'm saved. So when I get to, did I give you all the feeling on the core of the gospel? I did? Okay, good. Because the core of the gospel is that Jesus lived, died, rose again to save sinners and will save me. So when I make that declaration, that admission, that confession, that's when I'm saved, and that brings me in a relationship. So what, what is this deal about confessing sin? Why should I confess sin? There's something that happens when I, I said the spirit is born within us. And so in that moment, God starts to bring us into conviction. See, I can't convict you of your sin. I can preach at you. And if some of y'all grew up in churches where you heard the pastor just really go at you, man. I mean, he would literally preach the hell out of you. And you, you would leave going, I, I just, I'm awful. I'm going to hell. I don't know what to do. I mean, you're just doing this. He just spent an hour preaching and chewing me out, and I'm just a terrible individual. And you know what? I, that, that's not my job. My job is to preach the truth. The Holy Spirit convicts you. So what happens is when the Holy Spirit's going to be like, hey, 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 there's something here that's hindering 
your relationship with God. There's something here that's, that's causing something in your relationship. And there's something here that we gotta, we gotta deal with. And so this is this sin. And let's, let's deal with this. And confession means this, that I admit to my father that I've got something that's hindering our relationship. I admit to our father so he can forgive me. And then he through his power, can help me avoid that temptation or help me avoid that. And so I'm agreeing, God, there's something going on here that we gotta deal with. If you're married, this, you understand this. When, when she says, hey, there, there, there's just something wrong, and you can either deny it or you can go, you know what, yeah, there's something wrong. Well, when you admit that, you get that out, then you can start the process of correction. And God wants to work that process in our life because sin hinders us. So then what's the difference between remorse and repentance? Because I, you know, I think some of y'all are feeling real guilty. I think the enemy kind of keeps you just wrapped up in guilt and you walk around. Some of y'all got that preacher that was yelling at you or some of y'all got stuff in your past and the enemy just keeps beating you up and you, you still walk around like, I'm just terrible. I can't do anything right. I don't know how to please God. And maybe you're just here trying to get God off your back. Maybe somewhere along the way, somebody's told you some religious junk that says, you gotta go to church so God will love you. And you're just like, I'm just here. I'm just trying to get rid of this guilt. And you're dealing with remorse. Okay, there is a difference in remorse and repentance. And I started thinking, okay, where's, where, where's, some, where's a context of repentance in the word of God, God, show me. And one of my favorite chapters is Acts chapter two, when Peter stands up full of the Holy Spirit and he preaches on the day of Pentecost and he's just, he's simply preaching the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. It is of first importance that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to save sinners, and he will save you. And it says that the Holy Spirit cut people to the heart. So the Holy Spirit's going, hey, hey, I'm drawing you in. I'm drawing you to repentance. I'm drawing you to confession. I'm drawing you into the heart of God. And these people who are cut to the heart of God say, Peter, what do we have to do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized. Now, this word repent, I hear people say it's turn, to turn, means you got to turn to Jesus. Well, my problem is I still struggle with sin, and I, I, I think you do too. And so what happens is when I turn to Jesus and I start going, well, eventually, if I, if I don't get in this every day, what, I, I start feeling some selfishness. I'm like, well, God, I, I, I want that. And I start going this way. Or, or, or I'm following you, Jesus, but ooh, that looks really enticing. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's an idol. I put, God, I'm sorry. I put that car before you. I put that house. I put that job. I put that relationship before you. I'm, I'm sorry. And then I turn. Here's the problem. If I try to live my life like that, I'm just doing this all the time. I'm like, where do I go? Repentance means this. It's a change in your way of life as a result of a change of thought and your attitude regarding sin and righteousness. So it's not running around dizzy all the time. It's, it's dealing with the reality that, that I struggle with sin and I'm called to pursue righteousness. And I continue, God, I want to pursue righteousness. I want to pursue righteousness. God, help me pursue righteousness. I'm going the wrong direction. And he draws me back in. And repentance means my heart changes towards my sin. See, some of us get really good at rationalizing and justifying our sin. 
and then we start to feel guilty about it, and that's remorse. See, remorse um, means I feel bad about what I did. I feel sorry for what I did, but given the opportunity, I will do it again. Repentance, see, remorse should lead to repentance. I'm sorry for what I did, God. I'm sorry that, that, I, that I let this come between us. I'm sorry that, that I've created a gap in our relationship. And God says, I've never left you. I will never leave you. When you confess, I'm faithful and just, and I will forgive. And that just means I can send you straight to hell. But you know what? I'm just. And when you ask, I'm forgiving you. And so here's the reality. We've got to deal with our sin. We've got to analyze our attitude towards sin. I mean, do we rationalize it? Do we begin to feed that? Because see, we all struggle with sin. We have this sin nature that desires selfishness and we have this spirit nature because we've been born again of the spirit and they're at war with each other. And it's just, I mean, I'm gonna go country theology on you. When two dogs fight, the one that wins is the one you feed. And so if you're feeding the flesh, it's gonna win. If you're feeding the spirit, it's gonna win. And what happens is we, we, constantly, we repent of those things and our attitude needs to begin to change towards our sin. Because see, here's what I, here's what I know, that sin hinders our relationship. That's why people say, if I'm saved, why does it matter if I continue to sin? Why does it matter? I mean, Paul said in Romans 6, he said, where grace abounds, or where sin abounds, should grace abound even more? Are we to continue in sin because of that? He's like, no way. Because sin hinders our relationship. Let me break it down. So why does it matter if I sin? When when I got married to Heather, why why would it matter if I continue to to sin against my wife? We ain't going to have a relationship. Sin hinders our relationship. And let me tell you something. When we're dealing with sin, when we got sin in our life, when we're struggling with sin, my relationship with God isn't working right. And if my relationship with God isn't working right, my relationship with everybody else doesn't work right. So when I've got a hindrance in my relationship with God, I've got hindrances in my relationships with other people. When I repent and confess And deal with that sin in my relationship with God, it begins to allow me to heal in those relationships with other people. It's changing my attitude towards sin. It's no longer rationalizing it and justifying it, but fighting it. That's the beauty of community. That you have people that are willing to help you fight that. You have the word of God. He said, let this always be on your lips. Let this transform your thought life. So when you start to have those thoughts that are going to take you down a path that you know is going to lead to sin and remorse and hopefully repentance, but God says, think on things that are pure and holy and trustworthy and true. So it's having that presence of mind going, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh -uh. I'm pursuing righteousness. You're still in the fight. You're still going to fall. I still fall. We still fall. But you know what? We're not going to rationalize it or justify it. We're going to fight it. So the last question, 
What am I working out in my salvation? This, this was an interesting one. Because, and I, here's the thing, I remembered Paul saying something about this, but I had to go to the concordance to look this up. It's in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. There's a lot of scripture I'm giving you this week. My hope is that you will go back this week. It gives you something to study and read this week. But Paul said this, he said, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's typically where we stop. Or most of it, we just pull that out of context and go, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But Paul goes on to say, for it is God who works in you, both to the will and work for his good pleasure. So what Paul's saying, he's, he's writing a letter, the bigger context, he's written a letter to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, look, I've, I've been with you, and when I was there, you were obedient, and you were walking out your faith. You were, your faith was at work, and it was alive in you. So keep doing that when I'm gone. I'm going to plant other churches and share the gospel with other people, and so you keep doing this, and you work this out on your own, not with me beside you. And Jesus is the focus of your faith, not me. And, and we've got to understand in context, because people go, well, does this mean I have to earn or work for my salvation? It's a gift of God, but do I have to work to keep it? Now, what does Ephesians chapter 2 say? In verse 8, 9, and 10, it says, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not from your own doing. This is a gift, so you can't brag about it. So salvation is a gift. That grace is a gift, but we begin to work in that gift. He says, you were created as my masterpiece to do works, and I prepared you in advance for those works. So when we start to track this and understand the context, it means that we put into practice what grace has borne in us. So we work out of our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. Because God has an incredible purpose for you. God has an incredible purpose for every person. And the sad reality is many people never step into that purpose because they never step into that grace. And we are called to walk and work in that purpose until God calls us home. And we spend our lives focused on working out God's purpose. And when we work in salvation, here's a question that, that we automatically begin to answer. What's the will of God for my life? It's living this day. I'm being faithful with what God's put in front of me to work out the purpose to let my salvation show fruit in the lives of people around us. So I model that and I teach that and I live that. So my, my prayer for you is with these questions and answers is that you come to that point where you totally surrender to this gospel. You totally surrender to Jesus. That you stop working for this love and affection and stop working for your identity and start living in it because it's a gift that he's given to you. And you confess that and you come to him and say, Jesus, have mercy on me a sinner. Make me new. I need to be born again into your grace, into your light, into your hope, into your peace, and into your salvation. Let me pray for us.
Father, we love you and we thank you for this gospel, which is your power for salvation. I pray this morning that people will respond to your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and your sacrifice by totally surrendering themselves, that they surrender and give all of them for all of you. And I pray for that courage, Father. I pray for that faith for them to say in the the, the moment where they're at, in the quietness of their space, that they will just say, Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again. And I believe that you save sinners and I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you. I'm declaring you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I'm asking you to let the Spirit be born in my life so that I can now begin to grow and walk this life that you've saved me for. That I begin to walk out the hope and the forgiveness and the restoration that you provided through the cross. Father, I pray that you give them courage not just to say those words, but say them through the faith in their heart and give them the courage to speak with our prayer team after this service so they understand they don't walk this road alone, that they're now part of a family that you have brought them into. And we work this out and we do this together. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your salvation, for your grace and your mercy. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.